Hey, Zach. Hey, Jack. Well, yep. That feels good. Yeah, that was fun. Man, I know it, you know, apologize it took me so long to get back on. It just, you know, after kind of what you did, it just, it just took me a while to kind of get over it. But, you know, here <laughs> I am and back, back on the show. So. Yeah. yeah I, uh, so some of you guys who've been listening to Just Hands for a while might remember that I used to have uh, a different co-host, not James, who you've come to know and love, but you know, someone who I've, I've really done unspeakable things to, and I just want to sincerely apologize, you know, once and for all for nothing. In fact, co-host, co-founder, come on, co-founder, Jack. Yeah. There's been some speculation that you and I had a, had a falling out, which I think is very reasonable. Uh, yeah. Given pretty after what pretty you did. damn reasonable. Yeah. Would you say it's true that we've had a falling out? Well, we're still best friends. I work with you more than I ever have before, but I still will never forgive you for what you did at Just Hands that we'll not speak of. <laughs> uh, yeah, so <laughs> we are. I, it's a pleasure to have, of course, for those of you who have, haven't realized, Zach Resnick. Let, let's, let's say the truth. I mean, so basically what happened, you know, I didn't end up kind of giving a proper explanation for why I left Just Hands. I might have mentioned on social media, but just for, you know, our listeners that have stuck with us through the years, a little over two years ago now, I decided that I wanted to start a fund investing in the blockchain and crypto space. And our early investor that backed us and, you know, one of the initial partners after things were getting started, he was like, listen, you really need to focus on this if we're going to do it right. And, you know, I, I was feeling really motivated to just kind of go all in on this. And as much as I love Just Hands, uh, after clearing basically everything else off my plate, uh, we decided it was, you know, kind of the responsible thing to do for me to, you know, no longer be with the show and the brand. So it was a tough decision, but ultimately it, you know, I think it was the right one and still doing some crypto podcasts here and there with Jack. And, you know, I get to come on now sometimes and who knows, maybe I'll come on even more frequently than every couple of years moving forward. So uh, <laughs> happy to have me back on Jack. Oh, it's, it's great to have you back. You know, there's not, there wasn't really a real reason why we made your exit so uh, unexplained and sudden. So I apologize to anyone who was worried about you or uh, worried that we had some kind of falling out. As Zach mentioned, we've been working closer together than we had before. As much time as we spent together on just hands, we've, I am also now working for uh, and with Zach at the fund, which is called Unbounded Capital. And that has taken a real uh, center role in my life in the last year as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm happy to be still working with you. I'm also happy to still be playing poker and doing just hands and happy that we were able to ultimately replace you with James. So I think is, you know, fantastic co-host and replace. Who, so that's what you call it. Yeah. We, we replaced you. We replaced the hell out of you with, with someone who actually came, you know, from being a just hands listener, someone who has not been playing poker for very long. I don't, we don't talk about that on the show that often, but you know, James is relatively new to the game for someone who I think is as skilled of a player and as knowledgeable of a player as he is. And so I, I really enjoyed having him step in, uh, filling big shoes, of course, and yeah, I'm glad that we've been trying to make this happen for a while now, but you know, you're busy, I'm busy, 
people who've been listening to the show and realize the episodes are becoming a little bit more infrequent, uh, we have some strategies to remedy that. You might be hearing a little bit more of James and not quite as much of me, uh, but maybe more of me than you've been hearing the last couple months. Anyway, it's nice to be back on the mic talking about poker. This is actually the longest I've gone really since maybe I was 11 years old without playing poker. Well, maybe like a month? Yeah. <laughs> I guess like, <laughs> I guess maybe a, a month here and there while I was in college. But no, I mean, I guess really other than one year in college where maybe there were a couple of periods where I went a month without playing. No, I, I haven't. I haven't gone this long without playing in a really long time. And so I, I definitely missed the game. I'm excited to talk some poker with you now. So I hear you have a hand for, for me. Yeah, I do have a hand. Um, so this was from a while back in Vegas. I think we're playing like seven handed, five ten, fairly deep. And yeah, I'll just kind of get right into it. So we have a, seems like a pretty wealthy guy, crazy amount of action, seems like smart and competent, but just like, you know, wants to play every hand, doesn't really fold pre-flop, even to like big three bets or even kind of four bets. Uh, and he's, he's straddling. Uh, we have someone who I play with just for like a couple hours, but she seems to be playing fairly tight and like face up. Definitely not like a pro. She makes it 80 over the $20 straddle. And then I'm in the big blind here with pocket tens and I'm, I'm really deep. And I, the straddle I think is going to be raising kind of like three betting a good amount. And also I think pretty rarely folding to my bet. I also think that. I have to then fold my pocket tens to her four bet and I'm, you know, pretty deep with, with her and, you know, even deeper with the, with the straddle. Uh, so I opt to put the tens in my just flat call range here. I think three betting it some of the time is reasonable, but I think for the dynamics described, I want to be flatting this hand most of the time. I want to clarify what you mean when you say that you think the straddle will come along most of the time. Is that like, Three four offsuit most of the time, or or what? What is that range? Yeah, like? I I th- I think if I call, he's calling three four offsuit all day. It's gotcha. Okay, but yeah, but if you three bet, if you three it's bet, much, what do you think? It's a, it's a much it's a much tighter range then. Right, and so basically the the idea is that we get really loose money in through a call. We don't get that money in when we three bet, and we're up against a range out of position a relatively strong range such that if we actually face a four bet, we probably want to fold. Um, we wouldn't want to fold from a, from the straddle, but I would definitely want to fold from the, from the from right, right. Initial from razor. Initial yeah. razor. who's much more. Uh, so much just like if I call here, it's just, it's, you know, printing. And yeah, if no, I, I, if, I think that, yeah, I think uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah. I think flatting is clearly the best play. Cool. So we see a flop with $245 in the pot. And ju- just to be clear with how much we have behind, it's not, it's not a ton. I think it's like 2,500 bucks. And then the preflop raiser started with like 15. So I'm, I'm, I'm the effective stack with the Stradley who has like 6k. Um, flop 245 and we see six of hearts, three of clubs, king of clubs. I check, straddle checks. Well, uh, do you want to talk about the check? 
Well, no, I, I didn't. That was that was private. I want to talk about what she did later. It was it was private. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I want to talk about it. No, okay. <laughs> I think it's a show of hands. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't write about this in my notes, but if I'm if I'm looking now at the situation, I think there's definitely a case for for betting. I think my read on the pre-flop razor was that she's like a pretty face-up player that on king like king high boards like this is going to definitely oversee bet and probably like make it clear with her sizing if she has a good hand or not. Maybe I didn't have the justification to be super confident in that at this time, but definitely I'm a little biased now because that was confirmed from playing a, you know, continuing to play a long session with her. So yeah, I think the more information you get from her bet, the better checking is, you know, for example, if she bets a pretty strong range, I, then I think there's a case for a good case for checking. If she bets with multiple different sizings, there's a, a really good case for checking to see what size she chooses. That would be the ideal. So if, if that's her strategy, then I love check. I think, uh, you know, against a player who's kind of face up, I think when we lead into two players, we can, we get a really, a response that gives us a lot of playability from, from Prefly Razor. If she calls or raises, I think we are probably not ahead very often and certainly not able to value bet and pro- fairly likely to check fold on the turn. And what's nice is we get to target a range that we're doing very well against that has a lot of worse hands that can call uh, in the straddle. But yeah, it's, it's risky because obviously, given how passive and sort of how we're going to be playing versus uh, pre-flop raisers, call or raise on the flop um, if she decides to float much more widely or if she raises as a bluff uh, at any sort of reasonable or high frequency, then we're losing a lot of money doing this. And so there's definitely a risk, but I think it could be a risk that's worth taking just because I think calling out of position here is a very overrated play. Not to say that it's bad. I just don't think you make very much money calling this bet out of position here. You are often behind when you're up against a bluff. Bluffs can come through or realize equity on the turn and river. And you're also up against a loose player who is also in position against you and you know, probably calls with some worse hands that get there. It's just tough to win with tens calling out of position. So I, I think uh, when you have an opportunity because a player lacks the ability to exploit you to take a line that gives you more clarity... I think it's it's an option worth taking, but it's definitely a, you know, it's it's one of those plays that like it's very level one thinking, or it could be level like four thinking to lead tens here. Sounds like some fancy play syndrome to me, but no, I I <laughs> I, I think the the EV of of calling is just almost certainly better, but I definitely see how like I'm gonna if I think I'm gonna make a lot of big mistakes that the chance of that gets reduced by leading. The hand plays a lot more straightforward. Something to also keep in mind is like if say she bets like not a large size, 
and then I call, I think the straddle is going to come along like much, much wider than if I just lead out. Like any pair, any gut shot, any back door is not going to be folding. Yeah, definitely. Kings but it also might be raising. Yeah, that's another tricky thing is like... This guy likes to play for stacks. Yeah, I mean, and if... Is 5-7, let's say, more likely to raise your lead with her behind or her bet your in your call? I think her bet in my call, but especially for... Like, if I was able to see this sizing thing... Um, they were playing before I got at the table and this kind of, you know, let's just, I think this kind of gets to what happened. So she bet half pot, which just from what I saw, I just imagine is a bluff the vast majority of the time I called and then he made it 360. And, and it's hard to be put myself at this point in the hand because I didn't like, I saw him play a lot of hands so far and be really loose pre and like on the flop. But I didn't see him do like a ton of bluffs at this point. But by the end of the session, I saw him do like lots of bluffs. So it's it's hard for that not to kind of color my thinking here. But doing my best, you know, he he makes it 360. She snap folds. And I'm, you know, I think getting, I think I'm ahead really most of the time here. But I think that Kings would do this. I think I think Kings can do this. I just think he has a really a really wide range here. Like definitely like minimum like 80, 80 85% of all hands pre-flop are getting to the flop. So even if he does this with like every king, there's still just a ton of other hands. Yeah, the thing is though like the problem with these spots in my view is like Yes, there's a lot of hands you beat, but there's also a lot of hands that beat you. And you're out of position with like very little ability to improve. And your opponent has a good amount of ability to improve. And also will, as soon as you go call here, if you, because I don't think you can raise. I don't think that makes any sense with how many King X exist. And so as soon as you go call, it's like you're guaranteeing that your opponent's going to realize all their equity. And you are not guaranteed to do the same just because the risk of paying off like a huge number of King X across three streets just becomes like, it's just, it's really hard to bluff catch for three streets here. And I, I don't think it's necessarily wise to. So I don't mind cutting bait early in these types of spots when I don't think that there's a very clear way for me to win. I, I understand I understand the idea of like wanting to call it down here. I guess you just have to be really clear about like what are the cards that you can call barrels on, which I think is probably something along the lines of like eight through queen. And I guess like an ace is probably actually not a bad card for you. So yeah, you're just going to be really precise in this spot, which I think is tough to do. And I don't think you make that much money, even if you are very precise. So I don't mind fold. I don't mind call. I probably fold. But I also think that this is part of why I think lead should be considered. Yeah, it's certainly a difficult spot. But, you know, having having the second best pair 
on a board in which, you know, there can be lots of draws against a player that is very loose that so far I've seen has maybe a small per- propensity to kind of go for it. It's hard. It's hard for me to imagine how this isn't a plus EV call. It's just what's a your, matter of, yeah. What's your plan to like call down? I think at the moment I'm thinking I plan to call at least one more barrel either on the turn or on the river on most cards. And then if there's betting in all three streets, going to call down, call down and safe run outs, barring like a, some type of live read. And I'm going to fold when bad cards come. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways that like, like for example, if just a, if a, if a club comes on the turn, I'm going to probably call again, but then like would fold to a third barrel. But if no, if no club comes, I'm going to call the vast majority of turn cards. But I also think sometimes like, like he didn't make that big of a raise here. You know, the pot was two, two, like two fifty. She bet half pot. I called and then he just three X that. So the sizing felt to me like more like King X or like a random type of like bluff raise with, without a ton of equity, maybe like backdoor or gut shot or like a really good flush draw rather than like top of range or just like an open ender or, or something more of just like, how can I kind of bluff the minimum to just see if I could take this down based on the weakness that I'm seeing. That's what I remember, remember feeling better for worse. So against thinking, that, what are you thinking about yeah. like six X here? That kind of thing. I think it's definitely possible for him to be doing this with six X. He just, you know, he, he really, he was an action guy. Mm-hmm. So I just, just, you know, he could yeah. have a wide range here and I think I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm going to play future cards well. And like, if you're against a guy who is playing crazy amount of hands and we don't have strong evidence that he say like going to be crazy over bluffing a lot, but later I did, but even at the time, really wide range and going to be bluffing, you know, presumably like more than he should, even if not a crazy amount, you know, this is like a decent bluff catcher. It's not the most ideal bluff catcher, but it's a decent bluff catcher. So got to take the spot. So in Vegas, you know, it's like, come on, I'm gonna, like fall at the wind. So, yeah, no, I, I think it, it makes it makes sense. I, uh, That's what it really sounded like. There, just a there bunch was, of nerds just like spending all the time on the flop and stuff. Come on, man. Sorry, the I, I, lost my, the turn? I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, we can go to the turn. Go ahead. I'm just, I'm just messing around. I know, but I can't remember uh, what I was going to say. So we, we've talked enough about the flop. So $1,085 in the pot now. And we have like 2,100 in stack, so a little over two SPR. That's the stack to pot ratio for those of you that think I might have forgot that. And we see an offsuit four. Uh, so the board reads six, three, king, four, still with two clubs. I think I have a pretty, there's like maybe a case if I had like a lot more information to like bet call like 500 or 600. Uh, but I opted to plan a check call this card and he checked, but we can yeah. talk, we could talk about the bet call 500 
I think that's like reasonable, but I think it's less good than check calling. No, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet here. I don't think you get many folds, and I think mostly like you either just get hands that call correctly, whether they're ahead with like a king or just like a hand like four or five that calls and just has. Like you're not yeah. accomplishing that much like betting out of position against four or five with tens here, and also that hand might just like shove over the top, and then what are you going to do? You might just call off, but then. You know, there's also potentially a lot of five seven or three four or six four. I just don't. I don't think that is uh, is what you want to do here. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of hands that definitely. I mean, when you have a really wide range, there's a lot of hands that could improve. You know, like I think when he raises flop, I don't know if what his frequencies are like, but I think he definitely has three four offsuit, six four offsuit, four five offsuit, five seven offsuit. You know, yeah, and for that reason, to me, this is like a check fold card. Really. Yeah, I think four and six and seven might be like the worst cards you can see in a lot of ways. Yeah. Deuce is also not great. Just because bluffs picked up equity or got there for the most part. So six, five picked up a bunch of equity. Four, five picked up a bunch of equity. Seven, five got there. Four, three got there. And so between that and like the prevalence of the, you know, the prevalence of King X that was already possible. And the fact that you're out of position with money left behind, to me, this is like a check fold card. I'd much rather check call again on a queen or jack. I, I think a four is so much. I, I, I'm sure you know this, but just for the, the audience, I think like, I, like when you have tens, you think like, oh, a queen and jack, those are bad cards for me. They could be, but I think it's much more likely that like a, because a four hits the bluffing range so much harder than a queen or jack, I think those are actually much worse cards. The thing I was going to say on the flop is that I personally don't read too much into when someone chooses three X as a raise size. I don't think there's much information that you can necessarily glean. Well, I just saw him like doing a lot of over betting and okay, then now larger sizes now generally. Then, then yeah. you definitely can. All right. Cool. So, yeah, so rivers are pretty, rivers are pretty shitty card. You know, the, the flop is really the most interesting part and just kind of the dynamics of how to treat, you know, check calling against a, a more kind of maniac like opponent. Uh Rivers a seven. So definitely one of the worst possible runouts. And I check and he pots and I think I have a pretty uh easy check shove. I I don't want to say I, that like, I, I'm I, sure I, you're I, I, Yeah, I check folded. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well would you consider bluffing in this card? Because you're you are kind of at okay. the bottom of your range, like Against of a, against a lot of opponents, I would consider bluffing. I don't think it makes sense from what I've seen so far to try to bluff this guy. But yeah, I think I think in a lot of other spots, I would consider bluffing this card if I got here. But like against the type of people I, I would be bluffing, I probably would would just be folding flop. So what's the final the final board is five's a straight minor so. A five is a straight. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so so three, six, king with two clubs on the flop, turn four, river seven. I think it's, yeah, the flush draw, I think you probably just have to check fold is, is best. The, is an interesting dynamic here because it's an advantageous board, I think, for your opponent based on both of, both his image and his pre-flop, his pre-flop positioning being in the straddle. He just has a lot of fives relative to you. So I think it's on the one hand, what sucks about this spot is like 
when your opponent has a flush draw, you probably lose because he probably bluffs. The the problem though is that like he might just shove over the top if you bet like five hundred. And he has a lot of five X. And if you bet smaller five hundred, it's like you don't necessarily get a king to fold. Because the flush draw is present. And if you bet much larger, like your opponent does have a lot of two pair, potentially like a you know, like something like a rivered set of sevens, that kind of shit. There's just a lot of hands that call. So I just don't think you can win. So I think checkfold is best. I like it. Great. I did it. Well done. Did you see what your opponent had? No, no, no. Definitely not. He wasn't a shower. Not a shower. Yeah. A he was a grower until he <laughs> lost it all. That was my joke. I said it first for the record. On my end, I, it came through first. Um, we'll see. We'll see whose audio gets sent to the to the editor. Well, probably yours. That's the hand. Are we- are we going to shill our stuff now? I think it's time to shill our stuff. So, yeah, we mentioned that we started a fund. You started a fund, and now I'm a, an integral piece of that fund. Some media outlets are even saying that I run the fund. <laughs> Although I don't know if we can take their word for it necessarily. A lot of fake news in this industry. Tons of fake news. Tons of fake news. Well, it's kind of... I don't know exactly what to say about it to, you know, our just hands audience who, you know, I don't want to sell you guys on anything or bore you with things that are off topic, but. And first off, we're not, we're not selling anything. There's not selling any securities. It's not financial advice, no offerings just to be, just to be clear. And there'll be some extended disclosures in this episode. In the description, if you haven't already seen. Well, Zach, I guess let me, let me interview you because you're a guest on the show. Yeah, I'm a guest. Uh, Come that on, might man. be the best, feel the best way to go about this. So, you know, we, you and I have a shared background in poker, among other things. But I'm wondering, you know, this is something that it's not, you know, a revolutionary idea. But I'm wondering if you think poker has been helpful in your role starting on that <laughs> capital. Yeah, I think poker definitely has. You know, I'm, I'm obviously quite biased, but I would even go as far to say that, uh, you know, studying and kind of playing poker seriously with your own money for a period of time is the best way that I know of to understanding risk and money management, even more so than, say, I think what would be traditionally viewed as one of the, you know, most desirable ways to train for that, which is, say, like being an investment banking analyst at a Goldman Sachs or something. Uh, and a lot of it comes down to you know, this concept that, Jack, I imagine you've discussed on the podcast since I left that we've been real hard on for, you know, having skin in the game and just the differences of what happens when you're making decisions with your own money, with your own capital at risk, and you get to see those decisions uh, versus kind of, you know, whether you're playing or investing or using or allocating other people's money. And when you're in finance, even if let's say you're running like a, like running your own hedge fund, running your own fund, like we're doing now, there's not that many kind of like decision, like individual decision points that you have to make. It's a lot of your learning and researching and analyzing in order to make kind of a smaller number of decision points where with poker, you're making like, at least in the context of like the hand of the chips in front of you, like 
significant decisions with the amount of capital you have allocated to that game, like every game. So in just like one like online session of poker, if you look at the capital at risk of like per hand that you play compared to your stack and compare that to say like how many decisions you make with over five or 10% of the money you're managing in an investment fund, you know, you'll see that like one session of poker will be like years of managing, you know, managing money. Of course, the analogy is not perfect and there are a lot of differences, but I think what a lot of people don't disagree on is the fact that uh, the mistakes that happen with managing money are generally like mistakes of your own. They're not like failing to do the thing that you think you have a competitive advantage in, in well. It's failing to translate information due to a lack of, you know, to put in poker terms, like mental game. So poker is brutal and forces you to kind of get your mental game together if you want to succeed in a way where I think you can kind of coast in investment management a lot more easily than in poker. Uh, I think there are certain types of traders in which you'd see like a similar type of background and experience and skin in the game and kind of learning these lessons compared to poker. But I imagine those forms of trading, it's much, much easier to just kind of like lose all your money than in, you know, if you were to take the game of poker seriously. So I think poker for everyone is a, a great backdrop to doing anything that involves managing risk in life, whether that's starting any type of business, but especially for managing money. It's been really helpful for me. It also informs like the, the language that, that I use. Uh, and a lot of the most successful investors, especially kind of on the hedge fund side of things, uh, are either very successful poker players or just really love the game. And as some of the listeners know, uh, poker is a big networking tool uh, in New York City and financial centers around the world due to the fact that kind of everyone loves poker and, and the action. Piggyback off of a bit of what you were saying, the the skin of the game, or you, you sort of got to an idea about like the pace of the feedback loop. And I think poker is a, at a really good pace for education. And here's what I mean. There's not, you can't really learn from experience playing poker. You can get better from experience, but there's a, there's a real limitation to that. In my opinion, improving at poker, it comes from the sort of cognitive work you do either in your studying or just like, you can do it at the table, but it comes from thinking about the game and like thinking ahead. It's not just like, oh, this happened to me then. I can take this lesson from that. You know, if you're if you're just going off your results, you're gonna fail. And we see people who play the game for decades and they're terrible because that's that's their approach. Uh, they're not thinking ahead, they're not trying to reason their way through future scenarios. That being said, you know, as you mentioned, like you get imprecise feedback but relatively quickly and so you know if you play you can play a hundred thousand hands online in a relatively you know manageable amount of time and get good feedback on like is what you're doing working it's not perfect feedback so it's never gonna tell you exactly like what you should be doing differently it's not going to tell you everything you need to know but it'll tell you something and so the fact that the game forces you to think ahead 
and to think deeply about what can happen and gives you some feedback, but not too much feedback. I think it's a really valuable tool for sort of separating the wheat from the chaff because, you know, in the world of investing is, you know, I've come to find the feedback loop can be exceptionally slow, as you mentioned. And it's such also that I think uh, there can be a results oriented mindset around who is correct because that feedback mechanism is relatively slow. Obviously like timing is part of the game. And so different traders have very different strategies, different, you know, investing strategies operate differently in terms of time and frequency of action. And, you know, how long, like what's the scope of a bet? Is this a bet that pays off sometime in the next 10 years? Is it a bet that pays off sometimes in the next 10 seconds? Like the whole menu of duration is on the table. Uh, but especially like for the longer duration type of strategists, um, I, I think the conventional wisdom can become really convoluted based on a lack of perspective around how slow feedback is coming and how who's it's almost like you judge the best player in a poker tournament in a poker tournament by like who's doing the best after level one. Yeah, it means something, but it doesn't mean very much at all. And I, I do think that that can happen both in terms of how people view their own beliefs and also how people view the beliefs uh, and the wisdom or you know future success of others. And I think poker is a very sobering skill to have in understanding how how much is outside of your control and how hard it is to actually show that something is right or is wrong. Uh, we just spoke about a hand where we really have no idea what the best line is there. There every every street you could have done something differently that's justifiable and your results in this game are going to unfold extremely slowly. And really what's going to dictate that is not necessarily like your abilities now, but your, you know, your ability to continue to think through future events and improve, improve your reasoning and incorporate new evidence uh, and continue to improve that reasoning. And so this is all just to say that we, you know, in all parts of our business, like we are looking to hiring, not that this is necessarily like an open job offer, but we're looking to hire someone to help us with marketing. And we want, we do want a poker player, someone with that skill set, because even something simple like, okay, how do I craft the best email to try and get investors for a fund? Because obviously, what you know, funds spend a lot of time trying to get investors. That is something where having a poker player is extremely valuable because. They understand how to think in terms of expected value. They understand that like the results of one email don't necessarily dictate like the reality. You need a, you need a reasonable sample and they know how to navigate that sort of uncertainty to achieve the best result, or at least to, to have sort of a view of things that can be improved and replicated. Yeah. There's something, you know, I, I think everyone listening to this can relate that when you're talking with poker players, there's just like kind of like a we get each other thing and like a I don't want to use the word like common sense, but maybe like poker sense that is just nice. And yeah, so a lot of my a lot of my friends are poker players and you know this happens with Jack all the time. We're talking about investing decisions and we make analogies to poker and there's just kind of like a instantly getting it because you've practiced that concept so much and 
in poker. I think one of the biggest ones is just understanding asymmetry. And for the investing style that speaks to Jack and I most, which is finding wildly asymmetric bets where you're betting on something that most people don't understand or don't believe or don't think for whatever reason, uh, understanding how, you know, it's much better to say, over bet 200x pot and get called 10% of the time than it is to bet pot and get called 60%. And just simple things like that. So, you know, when we're, when we're hiring and when I'm, you know, looking to, to grow the firm, there's definitely a bias towards, uh, poker players because I think a lot of those skills have, have served us well. Yeah. And it's hard to teach because I think it's something that gets, yeah, it's a journey that you have to go on yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because so much of it has to do with maintaining a certain type of emotional state that can be very elusive. Yeah. An- another thing that just kind of popped into my mind to kind of discuss is also like, you know, a, a bigger, a much bigger part of my identity before was playing poker, you know, and being a poker player. And now I like still play for fun, but you know, I, I haven't, I haven't really studied in, in years and I definitely feel like say the type of investing we do to me is so much more interesting than poker, you know, and I, and I still love poker. It's like, you know, definitely like the best game and playing live is like really fun and social, but for anyone that, you know, likes poker, uh, I think doing different types of investing can, can end up being a much more like satisfying intellectually career. There's a lot of aspects depending on, what part of investing or finance or venture capital you work in that could make it a lot less desirable to poker on the whole. But in terms of purely like synthesizing information and then using those to make decisions about risk, I'm, I'm, you know, sold, I'm sold on this new, this, yeah, I'm, I'm sold on investing much more so than poker and find myself, you know, reading about investing in finance you know, for hours, even on the weekends, like to relax. Uh, so I guess that's, that's just like more of a share than like a conversation. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think our show doesn't necessarily get into this. Some people definitely like poker as something that they think they can wrap their heads around. I would argue that you, you certainly cannot. <laughs> wrap your head around poker. It's too big. And so we've, I think in this show, taken more of a, what do you do given that reality? You, you just definitely can't wrap your head around things. Not, I mean, you know, colloquially speaking, yes, you can wrap your head around it, but like literally know the game tree and understand what's happening and understand everything about it. It's not possible. And so if you enjoy the exploration and the uncertainty what investing offers is a much larger game tree in a sense. And it all, it it offers what's more of a, an infinite game than a finite game. So what do I mean? That'd be a great book. There is a great book called like, I think it's called finite and infinite games. And it's, it's, it's sort of a philosophy book. I won't give too much of it away, but basically you know, poker is a game that even though you're playing across across a long span of time, like there is a more sort of defined goal and 
you're you're playing within like a relatively limited set of rules. In the world of, of investing, that's just uh, it's it's very different. There's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of different things you can want to do, and there's very few rules. And there's a lot of like you know rules, like legally speaking, but you know in terms of like how do you want to play the game of trying to successfully allocate money? What are you trying to accomplish? It's just a really wide format, and the the interconnectedness of the world is something that poker you know doesn't necessarily have. The interconnectedness of like the nine people at a table gets magnified, you know, to an enormous not magnified, but uh, exploded in an enormous way in investing in the real world, and I, I find that to be very enjoyable, and I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot more about the world investing in crypto than I have playing poker, even though I think the skills that make me a good poker and or sorry, a good investor are more from poker. Yeah. I mean, with investing, it's like you're with poker, you get really, really good at kind of certain aspects of like mental game that carry over well for all aspects of life, really good at analytical skills at game theory with investing. You know, it's, there's a lot, you know, everyone thinks that like poker psychology, I'd say investing is definitely a lot more, Psychology is a lot more important in investing in almost any asset class or style than than poker. And, you know, there's history and there's economics and there's politics. And it's just, yeah, like you said, it's it's much more. I mean, poker is an infinite game. I, I wouldn't say it's a finite game, but investing is a more infinite game because that's how infinity works. Or, you I'm going to keep... To, 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 to be more specific, uh, the... There are more axes of infinite learning in investing than there is in poker. Jack? Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, you have some real bullshit going on in your background, obviously. Yeah, my, my neighbors find the best way to celebrate the fact that we have doctors to be to bang pans every night at seven. <laughs> are you kidding me? It's a whole sort of New York City and like urban life phenomenon. I am glad we have doctors, but I don't, I would not go around banging hands as my way of expressing that. Um, Whoa. But that's okay. You know? Are you sure you're going to put this on the podcast, man? Don't want you to get, you know, beat with pans by the woke police in, in Brooklyn. I'm not too worried about putting this on the podcast. Again, I'm very glad we have doctors. So this is not uh, this is not me being, you know, <laughs> ungrateful for the presence of healthcare workers. But as you can hear, uh, there is a downside to celebrating doctors in this way, and everyone is collectively experiencing that at this moment. Or is there any evidence doctors even exist? There is. I would say I have a a very tangible, the sort of the sort of evidence that I really trust. <laughs> Uh, experience that doctors do exist. Uh, there are certain things that I don't think exist, but doctors are not one of them. Doctors, I do believe, exist. Well, I'm just asking questions. Don't shoot the messenger. Oh, no, I, I think it's a great question. The the person outside being the pot, I think, also <laughs> agrees with me that doctors uh, very likely exist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> um, I know I, I have to I have to run shortly, so to kind of just wrap this wrap this all up. You know, we didn't do much shilling for stuff, but you know, I would say 
I've like put like my entire like career equity as a money manager, something that I hope to be doing for the rest of my life now and like love it more than anything else that I've done. Basically my entire net worth into this, you know, ecosystem that we're investing in the Bitcoin SV ecosystem. And, you know, for those of you that are interested in learning more, both about the journey and just about what that is, uh, you could, you know, learn more at our site, Unbounded Capital. We have podcasts, we have like a video series. Jack and one of our other partners, Dave, recently authored an ebook that we feel is like kind of the most comprehensive uh, layout of our of our thesis. Blog posts, I've even written a few. And you could always feel free to, you know, email us uh, at Zach and Jack at unboundedcapital.com. Yeah, I would say I know a lot of you guys, I'm sure some most of you are not that interested in crypto. And I, you know, it, that's okay. I, I think uh, we have a lot to offer, but if you're not interested, you're not interested. But for those of you guys who are already investing in crypto, I would really highly recommend checking out what we're doing. I think, you know, in the same way that I think uh, we have a very different approach at Just Hands in a lot of ways to thinking about poker, we have a really different view of the blockchain industry that I think will be a good complement to any other sort of strategy that anyone else is taking in the crypto space. And so I would I'd recommend checking out our website and uh, taking a look. And you guys know how to reach me. So if you have any questions, you can get in touch with me either through Just Hands or through Unbounded Capital. Always happy to engage on that kind of thing. Zach, uh, it was a pleasure to have you back. We'll have yeah, to thanks for having me on. I hope to come back on sooner. Uh, it's definitely a good excuse to think a little bit about poker. Yeah, would love to come back on. Come back on soon. I, I, I forgive you, man. <laughs> we'll do an episode uh, with your replacement uh, in the mix as well. I think that'd be fun. Again, I'm, I'm not agreeing to the title of replacement, but yeah, yeah I guess it's more I, of like I, I, exceeding. You, you were renovated, maybe. Uh, no, doesn't work. What's like the renovation where you like? demolish the house and then you have like a shack on it you know whatever that's <laughs> called <laughs> no I, I i i like the podcast you know and when i was on the podcast i never listened to it and now i listen to it because i'm not on it so that means i've never listened right? to the show i've got to get off the show <laughs> so i can start listening to the show anyways thank you guys for listening to the show and for some of you for coming on the show and we're going to get more episodes out to you guys soon and thank you again zach and we'll talk to you guys all next week